0: We've talked about Paul's gospel and Peter's gospel and Jesus' gospel, how that they were the same. We've talked about Zacharias's gospel and Isaiah's gospel and Abraham's gospel and how they were not as detailed, but they were still the same story. Tonight we come to the Father's gospel. As might be expected, the Father's Gospel would be the umbrella that would cover all of it. The Father's Gospel is rather simple in a way. It can be described by one word, adoption. Adoption, a beautiful concept in God's Word. It's almost forgotten, it seems like, in modern Christianity. It doesn't exactly fit in with man's gospel or a man-made gospel, but it certainly is God's gospel, Jesus' gospel, Paul's gospel, Peter's gospel, fits those perfectly. The Father's gospel, one word, adoption. The Father purposed to adopt before the world ever began. Predetermined, prearranged, preordained that he would adopt children into his family. The father paid the price for adoption. You say the son is who paid. Yes, he did. I don't deny that. He paid with his life. He paid with his blood. But the father paid with his son so that he would give his son so that all the adopted children could be paid for and be officially his. That's part of the father's gospel. The father's gospel adoption in that God prepares the adopted by giving them spiritual life, giving them his nature, giving them what it would take for them to know that he is their father. He does all that. That's all included in in adoption. The father's adoption, the father's gospel, adoption. In the end, all that are adopted, each one, will have inheritance, eternal inheritance. That's part of adoption. When you adopt a child, That child becomes your heir to inherit what's yours, adoption, the father's gospel. We only find the word adoption five times in the scriptures, four of which we'll take up tonight. The other one we could include, but it kind of fits. It would just take longer to bring it in. I choose to leave it out. It's It's about the natural nation, Israel, and them being adopted children too, but, and that would tie to what we're talking about tonight, but for the sake of time, let's go to four, four places we find adoption, Ephesians 1 and 5, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children, that's the God purposing, planning, arranging, predetermining, predestinating having predestinated us unto what? The adoption of children. Galatians 4 and 5. Here's the paying for it part. That we might receive the adoption of sons. That's the word, where we find the word in Galatians. We find it twice, adoption. We find that word twice in Romans chapter 8. Romans eight fifteen. You have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, in the receiving of adoption through the work of the Holy Spirit, we come to know the Father as Father and are able to cry to Him and call Him our Father. That's a step in adoption. You see, adoption's a process. It's not a one-time event. It's an eternal process. Part of it before time, part of it beyond time, part of it in time. The last place we find adoption Romans 8.23, waiting for the adoption. Well, I thought it already had happened. Parts of it have, parts of it haven't. Waiting for the adoption to wit. Namely, the redemption of the body. Resurrection. Resurrection of the bodies from the graves. Resurrection of the bodies from death. To be changed in the image of Jesus Christ. To go and enjoy the inheritance. That's the last of adoption. It's a long process. It never ends, quite honestly. We'll always be God's adopted children. It was always God's purpose. And we will always be heirs of eternal glory and inheritance. It is quite a word, adoption is. I've come to believe it's the ultimate word in salvation. Let's go over these four places that we just talked about. We're going to repeat some things tonight, but that's on purpose to kind of emphasize. We're going to go over these same four places where we found that word adoption, and each place we're going to widen out the context just a little bit so you can see how it sets in God's Word. In that first one, in Ephesians chapter 1, where God determined and arranged from eternity past to adopt children into His family, Ephesians 1 and 4, According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. There's the before time phase of adoption that God determined predetermined preordained foreordained that he'd have a family full of children adopted into his family. Before we leave Ephesians chapter one, just drop down to verse 11, and we'll see a statement about the inheritance there. The inheritance, each one that God predetermined to be his child in verse five, ends up with inheritance in verse 11. In whom, in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. The idea that a part of this process of adoption occurs before the world began and the consummation of this adoption will be eternity future where we will have our inheritance that was deemed to be ours before the world began. The second place we found adoption was in Galatians. In this place, we're talking about the payment that was necessary, the required necessary payment to make the adoption happen. They tell me adoptions are expensive. I once loaned to a lady who was going to China to adopt a little girl. I loaned her a, a money belt, but it was not the kind that go around your waist. It's the kind that go on your calf. I thought I was clever. I don't know. The crooks are probably smarter than me. When I would go to the Philippines, I had one money belt around my waist. And I had some in there. But I had my stash around my calf. My idea was that they'll, they'll, they'll stop me and they'll, the thieves will tell me, give me your money. And, and I'll, I'll give them the money belt. Oh, I'll I'll just be very cooperative. But then I'll try not to look down at my calf and expose the stash. Well, she was going to China, and I think she had to carry $15,000 in cash. That was years ago. I don't know what it'd be now. And she was concerned, and I said, let me loan you something. And I loaned her my little calf money belt. She was so tickled, and she got her baby and came back home. Anyway, all that story described that it costs money to adopt. We had some friends in Florida, and I think they lost $30,000 when they got conned. When they got conned. And it was a scam. So it's expensive. But all these dollars don't hold a candle to what God paid to adopt you and me. Galatians 4 and 4. But when the fullness of time was come at God's appointed time, the time He'd always known and determined, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman. He would come into the world as a child, made of a woman, made under the law, subject to the law, to redeem them that were under the law, to pay the the debt, to buy back the captives, to put us in God's possession, to pay the necessary price. The necessary price for what? To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons the price has been paid it's been taken care of god paid big time for you and me you know you might pay money to adopt an orphan child be a good thing to do but don't ask me to kill my son so i can adopt somebody else's son That's way out there, isn't it? That's something else. That's what God thinks of you. That's what Christ thinks of you. God gave the Son. Christ gave His blood, His life, to pay the price that you might have the adoption of children. This process of God, eternity, past to eternity future, and at an appointed time, God gave His Son to pay for the adopted children. The next place we found the word adoption was in Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 and 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. There's the word again. Spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. What happens with adoption? Part of the process, God sends his spirit into the adopted child in order that the child have spiritual life, have God's nature, know the Father, so that the child might cry, Abba, Father. Two words, one Hebrew, one Greek in the original, Abba, an affectionate term that a little child might in arms reaching say Abba. And the other, a very reverential, honorable term, the Greek word that's translated here, father, so that you would know him as your daddy and you'd know him as your father. And both are awesome. How do you do that? How do you know that? How can you know that? No man can know him except God reveal himself to him. How does God do that? Through born again, through regeneration. But regeneration and born again aren't the same as adoption. It's different. Hopefully we'll go over some of that before the night's over. But part of the process of adoption is the born again part. Where the spirit of adoption comes into your heart and you're able to recognize and know your father as your father. Verse 17, verse 16. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. When that spirit comes in, testifies to our spirit, you know things you never knew before, you know your father now, Things that were foolishness to you, now make good sense, spiritually speaking. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ. There's the inheritance again. There's the inheritance again. Reading on in that same Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, we've just had the third reference to adoption. Talking about the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption. You've been able to now know your adopted father, to be your father. Romans 8 and 18. We're going to read a little bit here, but we're going to get into the last adoption eventually. Here, the about the part about the resurrection, the redemption of the bodies, the consummation of the adopted child, officially into the family, totally into the family, forever into the, to the in the family, enjoying the enjoying the inheritance. Let's start with Romans 8 and 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. After just having talked about adoption and just having talked about us being being joint heirs with Christ, equal sharers of heaven forever with Jesus Christ, what's his is ours. I reckon the sufferings of this present world, everything you're going through now or will ever go through in this world, aren't worthy to be compared with what's waiting for you yonder. For the earnest expectation of the creature, a craning of the neck in anticipation of an event resurrection the earnest expectation we're expecting it we're anticipating it we're hoping for it the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God what's the manifestation of the sons of God when we are manifestly proclaimed to be what we will be forever when we have our resurrected bodies when the sons of God come forth, the daughters of God rise from dead. And we, the, Im, the mortal has put on immortality. The corruptible is now incorruptible. We have our new bodies, our heavenly bodies, our eternal bodies. That's the showing off of the sons of God, the manifestation of the sons of God. That's what we're waiting for. For the creature was made subject to vanity. I think this creature is the whole creation. It's the same word used in this passage. Create, creature, it's translated sometimes. Creation sometimes. I think the whole creation is groaning. The whole creation fell when Adam fell. When he sinned, death came upon everything. Upon the plants, upon the animals, upon the men, upon everything. We're all in a big mess. You know what's eventually going to happen? I don't know how to explain the details of this, but someday there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And what Satan convinced Adam and Eve to do, that messed up everything, God's going to bring it back bigger and better. A new heaven, a new earth. We're groaning for that. The whole creation is groaning for that. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him that subjected the same in hope. The whole creation subjected to emptiness, nothingness, vanity. But there's hope. What's hope tied to in the New Testament? Resurrection. What's hope tied to in this passage? Resurrection. We'll read on. For the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. Delivered from the bondage of corruption. You know what the bondage of corruption is? That's death and rotting. We'll be delivered from that. For we know the whole, the, because the creature shall itself shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption unto the glorious liberty of the children of God. From the bondage and captivity of death to the liberty and the freedom of eternal life delivered. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. A dying creation groaning and in pain together until now. And not only they, not creation out yonder. Yes, that's included, but not just that. Not only they, but ourselves also. Ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. We have the born again already. We have the Spirit within us. The Spirit of adoption, witnessing to us that we're the children of God. But that makes us even with a greater awareness groaning for something better than what we're stuck in right now. Groaning and travailing together in pain until now. Not only all the creation, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves. Do you ever catch yourself gazing up into the heavens? When Jesus went up and there they stand gazing into the heavens. And the angel said, don't be gazing. There's stuff to be doing, but still every once in a while I gaze. And I think about it. And I anticipate the forever out yonder when there's no more groaning and no more struggles and no more pains and none of that stuff is with me anymore. Groaning, travailing, earnestly anticipating, looking for that glorious appearing of that great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. We ourselves grown within ourselves waiting for the adoption. You say, well, I thought that was before the world began. It was. I thought that happened on the cross. It did. I thought that was some way connected with born again. That was kind of confusing. But I thought it was. Yeah, it was. But it's also tied to resurrection. You see, adoption's a process. An umbrella that covers it all. The Father's gospel covers all of salvation from beginning to end. Like Paul did, like Jesus did, like Peter did. The Father's gospel is the same gospel. And it just kind of overshadows all of it. And it all is kind of underneath the Father's gospel. And the Father's gospel is one word, adoption. Waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. There it is. That's what we're waiting for, the manifestation of the sons of God. When they shine forth glorified in new bodies, conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, resurrected to live forever and ever. That's a good place for an amen, isn't it? Amen. And we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. You know what will help you right now in the midst of your struggles? your understanding of the process of adoption, your understanding of the Father's gospel, your understanding of whose hands you're in and who loves you and who's going to come and have you with him forever. And oh, won't that be an inheritance? Won't that be an inheritance? And that very hope, that certain hope, that expected hope that we're earnestly expecting, anticipating is just not here yet. If it was here, we wouldn't call it hope. Hope of resurrection. That's the fourth place we find adoption. Right there in Romans, chapter 8, verse 23. Let's think about adoption a little bit. Let's ponder the whole idea. It's kind of a special thing, adoption. You think pretty highly of somebody that'll take an orphan in and make that orphan his own child. Committing that what I have will be yours one day. That's a pretty good thing to do for somebody, is it not? Adoption's a magnificent thing to do. The nature of adoption, both earthly and heavenly, adoption's not hard to understand. Let's just think about it a little bit. Adoption is an action where you make a child who was not your child by birth your child, it's a legal process where by law you go through all the steps and that child becomes your legal child and legally has your inheritance will get what you have someday. I've been told I'm not a lawyer, but I've been told you can't write an adopted child out of your inheritance. You can get upset with your own young and write him out of your inheritance and make a new will. I've been told that you can't do that with an adopted child. When you adopt the child, you're agreeing that that child is your heir. The law protects that child. When God adopts you, you're his heir. Only legal relations are established by an adoption. Not... Blood relation, not what they'd call a vital relation, not a kinship by DNA, only legal relationship is established by adoption. Keep that in mind. That's going to be important. You don't get your father's nature by being adopted. You're legally his child, but you don't have his nature. And you may not be fit to live in his house. You may not fit in. Can you imagine a situation where some multi-billionaire rich New York City guy, he's got a big heart and he's got a ton of money and he lives in a mansion. And he goes way down in the deep south and he adopts some little hillbilly boy and takes him back to that mansion. You know what I figure? That boy's going to sit down at that dinner table and he's got about 14 forks lined out up there and he He's not even used to eating with a fork a lot of times. He just eats with his fingers at his house. It's easier to eat chicken that way, you know. And sometimes mashed potatoes aren't bad if you're really hungry. Well, he doesn't fit in at all, does he? he got a lot to learn before he can fit into that house. So just because he was adopted doesn't make him fit with the family. It doesn't give him his father's nature or the, his father's likeness. Adoption makes one an heir to the home But does not prepare one for life in the home. Now, that's where born again is going to come in. You see, they're two separate things, they're not the same. But we'll get to that one maybe in a little more detail later. I want you to understand, though, that adoption is a legal process that doesn't give you, doesn't make you blood kin, doesn't give you the nature, doesn't make you fit for the house you'll be living in. That's important in both situations, in both situations. Something's going to need to happen naturally and something's going to need to happen spiritually to, to get over this hurdle of you being fit to live in the place you've been adopted into. Another thing about adoption. We look at a, a, a man who would go and adopt a child in this world and we give him great honor. We have respect for such a man who would mar his own inheritance, so to speak, to adopt a child into his family that he doesn't he know it to. He in a sense, would be better off without the child. Wouldn't have to pay the price. But we admire a man that'll do that. We really do. It's a respectful thing to adopt an orphan child into your family. Nobody condemns that adopter for choosing to adopt or for picking which child he wants. Just the idea that he picked a child. He went through the orphanage and he picked the child. Or maybe he took half of them. But he still had the right to choose which one was his, didn't he? Well, we still admire him. It might have been great if he would taken them all. But you don't expect that out of him. You didn't expect him to take any. But when he took one, you admired him and you didn't. Nobody thought about getting on his case because he didn't pick all of them or just picked a few of them or maybe even just picked one of them. Yet... Yet, your heavenly father takes a lot of flack, doesn't he? He gets very little respect for his plan of adoption. As merciful and as kind and compassionate as it is to pay the price of his son to for a child to be in his family, to make that child an equal heir with his son, that's awesome. we mentioned the word predestinate or according as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And all of a sudden it becomes a terrible deed that God would choose to adopt a child. That's not the right way to think, friends. If it's honorable for a man to pay $30,000 to adopt an orphan child, it's magnified more honorable for God to pay the price of his son to adopt an orphan child and give that child an inheritance equal with that son. Praise the Lord for adoption. It's a tremendous, tremendous, glorious thing that God chose to do that and chose you as His. One more thing as we're exploring just the general ideas of adoption. I guess I guess for years I would have I would have said that justification is absolutely the supreme word with anything related to salvation and it is an awesome word the idea of justification it covers it covers some other things justification is is the declaration the the courtroom declaration of innocence When the eternal judge looks at me standing before him, but instead of seeing me as I am by my nature and by my bad deeds, he sees me washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And in seeing me wrapped with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, he sees me righteous and innocent. And he declares such, and that is justification, when God declares me to be innocent at his bench of judgment. When the eternal judge declares me to be innocent and... (laughs) Nothing can be held against me, and heaven is mine forever. What could be better than that? What's adoption? Adoption is when God makes a choice that he'll be my father, and he'll make a choice in the same action that I'll be his eternal child. You know what the eternal judge doesn't do in justification? He just acquits you of your guilt, but he doesn't ask you to come home with him. When you stand before the judge in a courtroom in this land and the evidence is brought and you're declared to be innocent, you didn't do anything, the judge declares you that and you say, but he doesn't say, come on home, I've got a bedroom for you and I've got breakfast for you in the morning and you can just live with me forever. No judge does that in the act of justification. That's not part of it. But in adoption, God goes beyond being the eternal judge and he takes the role of your heavenly father and he says, come home with me. I've justified you. I've done that part. That's a part of it. But the adoption part is the umbrella that covers even the justification. The utmost word for salvation in God's book, I think, is adoption. The one word that describes the father's gospel is adoption. It's a fantastic, wonderful, glorious concept that God chose you to be His eternally. Adoption. The more I think about it, the more I love it. Let's think about adoption and regeneration now, born again. Let's think about the differences in those two. They are distinctly different acts of God. The adoption is a long, drawn-out, eternal process The regeneration born again is an instantaneous moment in time. When the Holy Spirit, the wind, moves as He pleases, and so it is with everyone that's born of the Spirit of God, that's born again. That's regeneration. Adoption, the regeneration part is included in the adoption. When the Spirit comes, the Spirit of adoption comes into you, and you cry, Abba, Father, that's a part of it, but it's just a part, it's not the whole. Adoption is a whole process. Regeneration is where you get God's nature regeneration is where you get the eternal life the spiritual life regeneration is where you get the understanding to know the father and call upon him as your father regeneration is an important necessary step in the process of adoption but the two are distinct from each other let's go back to some passages that we've read let's go back to galatians 4 and 6 and because you are sons God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. We've got two things in that verse. Because you are sons, that's a son by adoption. That's an eternal son in this process. That's one who was chosen by God before the world began, one Jesus died for, one that has an inheritance waiting for him, one that needs a new nature, needs to be able to know who God is. But because you are in that position given to you by adoption, Because of that position that God gives you in his eternal process called adoption, because you are our sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son in your heart crying, Abba Father. Because you are involved in the plan of adoption, you automatically will at some point in your life get the the thing called regeneration born again. Because you are in the position that God's put you in to be an adopted child, you will one day in your life at some moment between conception and death, experienced by God's power, Something the Bible calls born again. Because you are in the process of adoption, you will be born again. Let's look at another place Romans 8 and 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. You know, when you come to a point where you're led by the Spirit of God, when He's come into you and He's leading you in paths of righteousness, and he's placed his fruit within within you, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. At that point, you're being led by the Spirit of God. You begin to work out your own salvation because it's God that worketh in you both the will and do of his good pleasure. You're being led by the Spirit of God after born again happens. For as many as are led by the Spirit of, God, Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Those that this happens to, where the born again comes, and you're being now led by the Spirit of God, you are already, forever will be, sons of God in the process called adoption. The two are closely related, but distinctly different. One's a huge umbrella, and the other one's an instantaneous moment. Look at one more place as we try to draw this distinction between adoption and regeneration. Romans 8 and 15. For you have not received the spirit of adoption again to fear, but you have received the spirit... You have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the spirit itself bearing with, beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The spirit of bondage, captivity, the law the spirit of adoption, freedom, heaven, in God's house with Him. Whereby you know God, call Him Abba Father. That's the born again part. The spirit itself bearing witness with your spirit. That's what happens after you're born again. Bearing witness to your spirit that you are the children of God. And if children heirs, joint heirs, there comes the inheritance part. The born again part, I say again, is an event that happens to every adopted child at some point. It's not where they become the adopted child. It's where they become the born-again child. It's not where they become legally gods. It's where they become, by nature, gods, belonging to God. It's where they come to a point in their understanding where they know the Father, the adopting Heavenly Father, as their Father, my Father. And can call him Abba Father. So there is a distinction. You know what the process of adoption. If you come to understand this. You know what it does for you. It gives you great assurance. Of your eternal life. You know. The prodigal son may quit acting like a son. But the father of the prodigal son. Will always be his father. If that fits with natural thinking, how much more would it fit with heavenly thinking? God's not going to quit being your father. He's always intended to be your father. You've always been his child in his mind. He paid for you with the price of his son. He sent his spirit within you, the spirit of adoption. He has your inheritance waiting, equal inheritance with Jesus Christ. That doesn't just get canceled out with a whim, and nobody can pluck you out of that relationship that process that's eternal, called adoption. That process started before anything else even existed. Before there was a devil, there was adoption in God's mind. Before there was a creature to adopt, there was adoption in God's mind. When the devil will have been sent to the lake of fire, and you enjoying your inheritance for eternity, adoption is still a process. It's eternal in the mind of God. It's an eternal action of God. It's an eternal process of God. You can be assured that adoption is a good word for you to understand because it gives you great assurance that you as a child of God will always be a child of God we go back to the first place where we found adoption mentioned and we found it that predestinated predestinated to the adoption of children that, you'd be, that you've been predetermined by the father to be his child what does that do for us A plan that God has had from eternity past. Let's go to a different place where it doesn't mention adoption, but it talks about God's plan and what He's predetermined. Romans 8 and 29. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate, to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. You know what God determined before the world ever began? Jesus is going to have a family. God, in His wisdom, said, Jesus needs some brothers and sisters. We're going to fill this house up with brothers of Jesus, sisters of Jesus, a family of God. That's what God determined before the world ever began, that Jesus would have brethren conformed to his image in his likeness, in his place with him for eternity. That was God's plan. That's what he predetermined. That's a part of adoption, that you'll be a brother of Jesus Christ, a sister of Jesus Christ. You think the family's not all going to be there? You think you're going to be sitting around in heaven crying because of an empty seat at the table? God forbid. God predetermined it. It's going to happen. It can't not happen. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, whom he called, them he also justified, whom he justified, then he also glorified. Everyone that God determined would be in that family, a brother or a sister, will be in glory with God forever. How can I be sure about that? It was God's determination. His prearrangement is such, and his purposes come to pass. I have spoken it, I will also do it. I have purposed it, I will bring it to pass. God purposed you to be a brother and a sister to Jesus Christ, and someday you will be. You know what Jesus did? He gave himself. He gave himself. God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Go to verse 7. Wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son, and of a son, than an heir of God through Christ Jesus. Jesus paid the price so you'd be an heir of God. And we're craning our necks in earnest expectation for the manifestation of the sons of God to to wit, the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Jesus is going to get what he paid for. He came to redeem. He did redeem the redemption of our bodies. That's the consummation. The final bringing together of the whole process. It'll happen. Jesus is a successful savior. You can be sure about it. How else would we be sure? And I'll tell you what that same spirit that comes at the time of born again, that spirit of adoption is part of the big process but that individual distinct personal process with you, you know what that spirit does? He witnesses to your spirit that you are a son of God. That's assurance, isn't it? There's something inside of a soul of a child of God who's been born again that this resonates in their soul. The hearing of the gospel rings a clear tone to a child of God with the spirit within that child as the spirit witnesses. This is the truth. And the truth will make you free where you're not in fear of bondage anymore. The spirit of adoption has given you a witness in your soul that you're an heir of God. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, it comes with the territory. If you're a legal heir, if you're a legal child, you're a legal heir. If you're an adopted child, you have an inheritance. How much inheritance? A cabin out back somewhere? Equal heir with Jesus. I can't understand that. Whatever's his is mine. And whatever mine is mine is his. To the point that we've become one with each other. What an awesome inheritance waits us. The riches of the inheritance of the saints. Paul prayed that we might know that. That we might get a little grip on that. That's a good thing to know. That's a good assurance to have that you're a joint heir with Jesus Christ. No more a servant. It's not, it's not a servant and an owner relationship. It's not a slave and a master relationship. It's a child and a father relationship. And I know there's bad fathers in this world, but this is not one of them. This is not one of them. This is a father who gave his eternal Son, Jesus Christ, for you. Now, that's a good father, isn't it? That's a father with love. That's a father with your best interest in his workings. You're going to have that joint inheritance with Jesus Christ thanks to the Father's gospel, which is adoption. Interesting little trivial tidbit about the Bible. You can look at the Old Testament. Now, I haven't read the whole thing in search of this, but looking up words in reference books, I look up the word father, and I don't find anywhere in the Old Testament that father as a name of the father appears. Now, there's father in there, as if if Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob. The word father's in the Old Testament, but that capital F, father, a name for God, a relationship described by a name between God and his children, it's not in the Old Testament. That's pretty wild, isn't it? Was God not the Father back then? He was. He just didn't talk about it. It didn't seem important, evidently, to reveal that in Old Testament times. You know, we've talked about already how the gospel of the Old Testament is kind of hidden. You've got to really search deep. And some of the things are so hidden that the very idea as father as a name for the father doesn't appear in the Old Testament. What kind of names does God have in the Old Testament? Well, Moses is talking to God at the burning bush. God has said, take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. And Moses is in fear standing there talking to God. And God tells Moses, you go down to Egypt and you tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses said, who do I say sent me? Who are you? What's your name." There wasn't a mention of the word Father there. You go tell him I am has sent you. What does that mean, God? I am. A statement of eternal existence. A statement of self-sufficiency. A statement of need for nothing. A statement that's a statement that says, I don't need relationship. I exist eternally. Our Father which art in heaven. A statement right there about the existence of God, the eternal existence of God. Now in that statement in the New Testament, we start at our Father. The Old Testament, they didn't get that part. You just tell them I am. I am self-sufficient. I don't need anybody. Boy, that's, that's not the kind of thing you'd want to hear from your Father, is it? I just exist eternally. I existed without you. I'll exist now that you're here. And I'll always exist. You tell him I'm the self-existent eternity. Kind of confusing. Not near as loving sounding as Father, is it? I kind of like to call Him Father. I don't have the right to do that if He hadn't given me the right. In these days, He didn't give him that right. What else about God? You remember when the, when the six-winged seraphims and, and holy, 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 holy they're they're shouting holy 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 is the lord of hosts. host you know what the word holy means set apart simply means set apart we're unrighteous we're unfit we're sinners he's holy he is set apart there's not relationship in that term there's not togetherness in that term there's not family in that term That term doesn't conjure up love in my mind. That God is holy, 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 set apart in holiness from somebody like me. That's wrapped up in that word. Old Testament words were very honorable about God, but not very personal as far as relationship. What else do we know about this God of the Old Testament? The very name that we call Jehovah. We really don't know if that's the right way to say it. It was four consonants in the Hebrew language. And those four Hebrew letters that are consonants without vowels. You can't say a word if it doesn't have vowels. You can imagine a vowel sound and try, attempt to say the word. But you don't really know how to say it if you don't have the vowels in there. You don't know if it's a long A or a long U or what goes between these things. All we've got is four consonants. And those four consonants. When you attempt to transpose those letters to English letters, there are multiple English letters that sometimes go in place of each one of those letters. So we don't don't even know what English letters to use, quite honestly. When we put a J and an H and a V and an H and say Jehovah, that J could have been a Y. All those letters could be different letters. We've got a God in the Old Testament that nobody could even say his name. Nobody was allowed to say that. They couldn't attempt to put vowels in there. It was just the Jews' rule. You don't say his name. Not only did he not have the name Father with a capital F, he had an unpronounceable name. He's as the unapproachable, can't speak to, can't call him by name. What what does the spirit of adoption do for you? It teaches you Abba, Father. They didn't have that. They had born again, but they didn't have this personal relationship. It didn't exist in their realm of existence in this world. Did Sinai invite anybody to God? Did it conjure up an invitation, a personal invitation for you to just come on, come on, come on? No, you know what Sinai did. All the thunderings, And all the lightnings and the mountain quaking. And it said, Moses, he exceedingly quaked. And you know what the people said to Moses? Said, you go talk to him. If we talk to him, we'll die. What kind of relationship is that? He was a good God, don't get me wrong. But it was different times. And not only did they not call him father, they did not sense him as father. There's a mountain you can go to, maybe not hardly as tall as Sinai in one way, but a whole lot taller than Sinai in another way. It's a hill as far as height, but it's a mountain as far as as glory, the hill called Calvary. You know what you get the sense with the Father, the capital F Father putting his son, S-O-N, capital S, son on that mountain, In your place to die for you, to accomplish adoption where you'd be his eternal son and daughter forever. When you sense Sinai, you flee from God. It doesn't invite a relationship, but what does Calvary do? Come unto me. Come unto me. I gave you my son. Come unto me. You're my child. The love of the Father is announced. By Sinai, about Calvary in a way that Sinai I never could have imagined in this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him here in his love not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son to be propitiation satisfaction, atonement for our sins Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. There's no way to get a grasp on that kind of love. The Father is used, the word Father, capital F, is used 242 times, the best I could figure, in the New Testament. Not once in the Old Testament. 242 times in the New Testament, describing your relationship to your eternal heavenly Father. Capital F. It's a name for God in the age in which we live. John five and twenty. Jesus said, For the Father loveth the Son. capital You don't you'd reckon that. That makes sense. John sixteen twenty seven. For the Father himself loveth you. In John 17, Jesus would pray in his prayer, Father, let the world know that you love them as you love me. The love the Father has for his eternal capital S son is equivalent to the same as the love that the Father himself has for you. The words of Jesus Christ. Calling him Father. Connecting that with love, relationship, fellowship, togetherness, kinship, family. 1 John 1 and 3. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. They didn't have that in the Old Testament. There was no such thing as fellowship with the Father. There was no word Father in the Old Testament describing the relationship that God has with His children. But you have a fellowship with the Father. When we pray, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed, holy, magnified, glorified be thy name. The very name, Father, glorified, magnified, exalted, lifted up. The word that describes adoption. The word that describes eternal relationship with God. The word, Father, that very word, hallowed be that name. Our Father. Our Father. The Father of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus that told us to pray that way. Said when you talk to Him, you go to Him saying, Our Father. He's my Father. He's your Father. He's our Father. What a glorious way to approach the eternal God of the universe. The great I Am. The eternally existent self-sufficient. Though He is self-sufficient, He chose to have me and His family. A fellowship, a relationship, where I say our Father. Recognizing that the Father of Jesus Christ is mine too. You know, how, you know how important this is to the Father? This name? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Matthew 23, 9, the words of Jesus. Call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father. That's pretty serious. It's a name that according to Jesus is reserved only for God. Is that really what that says? That's really what that says. Is that really what that means? I think it is. I think we abuse it. I think we take his name in vain. I think especially if we were to call a preacher father, when there's one father who has that one name. And you know what I'd prefer to do? Even my earthly dad, let's just call him dad, or pop, or mighty good friend and buddy. But let's save the name Father, that glorious name Father that means so much to us. God said, that's my name. That's my name. Don't call anybody Father but me. What a glorious name. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Is that included in that commandment? I don't know. Maybe I'm going too far. I'm not trying to make a law out of it. I'm just trying to show you the respect that that name should have. That it should carry. The very concept idea of a father who's adopted you into his family. It's precious. It's precious. It's precious. If any man will serve me, him will my father honor that we honor the Father in His name and in return in this relationship, this family, He honors us. That's pretty awesome. So that we let our light so shine that we may be seen among men and glorify our Father, which is in heaven. 200 plus times, capital F Father, New Testament word describing a relationship, a family, adopted, children, heavenly, father let's close with a little bit of application to know the father has adopted me motivates me to live as a child of the father I'm not talking about how I get to heaven I'm not talking about how I get born again I'm talking about how I live my life as a child of the father does that call for something let's see if it does First John three and one, behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God, that He's made us His children. What manner of love did that take? The whole process of adoption, the love involved in it. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be when we get the inheritance, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. What did God predestinate? That we'd be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might have many brethren. When we get up there, we're going to be like Him, in His image, in His likeness. We know that when when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And every man that hath this hope in Him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. The idea of getting a grasp on the relationship of a heavenly father and adopted child, and what matter of love that is, and the wonder of what waits for us as heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, that the Father has an inheritance for eternity. And anybody that has that hope, it's a real hope, a certain hope. It's a process that can't be stopped. Every man that hath this hope in himself... Purifyeth himself even as God is pure. That we might become a little more conformed to his image while we're here. Be ye holy as your father is holy. That we would purify ourselves as he is pure. That we would try to be what we are. Do we owe that to God? I'm not talking about how we get in the process of adoption. That's all of God. I'm not talking about how we can manage to do that step called born again, we can't and we don't. God does that. But I'm talking about once you have that life in you, living the life, purifying yourself as He is pure. If you have this hope in you of one day being conformed to His image, seeing Him like He is and being like He is, and you're awed by the wonder of God's love that would arrange all this, then take a step in the right direction and be His child. Oh, that's not being his child adopted Since that's not being his child born again Since that's being his manifest child something that would be observable by those around you as one that was like God in that family one that would be recognizable as a child yes a child by adoption yes a child by born again and be a child by acting like a child Portraying yourself in such a way that you'd be a representative of a family of God. John 1 and 12. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. That verse by itself is a tricky verse. You take it by itself, and it won't mean what you think it means, because it doesn't mean what it seems to mean when you take it by itself. You don't have the power to become a son of God in adoption. Well, that's an eternal process that began a long time before you ever happened. You don't have the power to become a son of God and born again. Because until that happens, you will not come and no man can come and it's all foolishness. You see, he has to come for you will come. You don't have that power within you. But you do have a power within you to manifest yourself as a child of God. To give the appearance of a child of God. To be observable as a child of God. To be one that somebody would say, that's a certifiable child of God right there. You can count on that. I see the evidence. That's how you become a child of God. He that hath this hope in him, let him purify himself. We read the next verse just to verify that this is what it means. If you read these two verses together, it clears it up pretty good. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become become sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born. Past tense. Who's this becoming a son of God in in appearance, in in recognition, in honoring glory to God in your actions and your words and your deeds, your thoughts? Who can this happen to who who can receive or believe and become a manifest child of god those that were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of god those that are in the process the eternal process of adoption the ones that are in this process of adoption that god's already come to and get them born again those who were born of god then they have the power to become a manifest observable Glory glory be to God. Clear as crystal kind of person. that That's a saint who's following God. That's what we're to become. He that hath this hope in him. Let him purify himself even as God is pure. Adoption. That one word is the Father's gospel. God bless you. Our Heavenly Father, we... Thank you for the simplicity of your truth. The very wonder that you would look and choose the likes of one of us and make us your child. Knowing the price you'd have to pay. Knowing that we weren't fit to be in your family, but you could take care of that too. And preparing an inheritance that's so glorious we have no idea. Preparing that inheritance for us that will be ours forever. What a glorious word, adoption. What a glorious idea, the Father's gospel. Lord, we thank you for the good news of your love, of a relationship that we have with you that's established by you. We love you. Let us be fit to be your children. Help us in that, we pray. Bless our church, our family, those in need, all that cry to you.